So yeah, chapter 22, we left off on verse 23. So if you remember last week, there were three oracles that really were all the same, but they were, the, the way an oracle works is it's kind of a metaphor to teach you a truth, right? And sometimes, as with parables, you can't really line things up one-to-one to like, they don't exactly correspond to like real events, but that's not the point. All right. Uh, it's kind of like Aesop's fables in a way, except those are fables. These are telling the truth. I mean, a fable is trying to tell the truth in a way, right? A moral truth. Here, God is indicting the people, but um, like, you, like you see with... Have some sugar, Ethan. Um, as you see with Nathan and David, like the point of Nathan telling the story about the precious ewe lamb that the rich man stole from the poor man isn't that it actually lines up exactly with what David did, but that David confessed his sins for the sake of forgiveness, right? All right, so the point here with these oracles, and even the the really strident one, chapter 23 is probably the most, um, for lack of a better word, pornographic chapter in the Bible, because it's, um, you know, pornea comes from the word for, well, it's evil. So, yeah, uh, or, yeah. So it's like, and it's the most base kind of evil. There's different words for evil, but it's the most base kind of evil. Yeah. Um, but e- graphically depicted evil. And uh, we struggle with that because, uh, you know, it seems like, like we'd rather watch, let our kids watch violent movies than um, sexually, you know, explicit movies. So they're both pornographic. They're both pornographic, though, is the point. Yeah, in different ways. Um, but violence is... I don't know. I don't know why it's different to us. Maybe, well, it's Memorial Day, so we talk about war all the time, right? I don't know. All right, so anyway, that's going to be the next chapter. And there's been on and off quite a bit. Chapter 16 was the corresponding one to chapter 23. Chapter 16, you remember that was the one with the, with the daughter that, the, um, that he redeemed and kind of picked up out of her own blood. She had been abandoned as an infant, yeah. So we talked about actually on the Band Books podcast on Friday. So from another book. All right. So we had three metaphors. We had the bloody city, the house of Israel, and then we didn't look at the unclean land. And I think we need to a little bit um, just for the sake of covering this topic, because we don't think of, and we talked about this yesterday again on Band Books on Friday, I should say, the... Um, we always think of sin as inherently, as an almost entirely personal. Like, it's my sin. And there's, yes, you bear the guilt for your sin. That's true, right? But all sin is communal. It affects those around you. It's not, it doesn't just affect you. I mean, even sin, like, as we could talk about in the next chapter, if you talk about pornography use, pornography actually not only endangers the lives of people, um, Children even are stolen in order to be brought into the pornographic trade. Um, it, there's no one innocent. Uh, it's often funded by organized crime. So you have that whole aspect. Um, often drug use is a big part of it. it it's, um, there's no, it's not victimless. And that we're, we're, hmm, the internet doesn't help because it decouples kind of the, um, the grossness of it. I remember growing up, like the only way you could really get it is to go to that section in the video store or those stores by the highway, you know, and you didn't want to be seen going in or out of it. And that's all changed now. It's, 
Yeah, we've lost that entirely. That whole like public shame of it. No, no, it's not. Yeah. 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 Well, and they still, but why do you need a print magazine when you have the internet? So, yeah, and that's that's devil's work there, you know, to remove the shame of it. Oh, yeah, it's just called sex work now. Oh, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a job. It is the oldest trade probably in the world, in the history of the world, but still, maybe after like farming, I guess. All right, so my, the point of bringing that up is that it comes out here with the unclean, what we call the unclean land. So there's a way that the sin of the, uh, your sin corrupts even, not just the people around you, but even the land. Um, and of course, this makes perfect sense because we see it in the garden, right? The curse of Adam is is actually known to him by the way that the ground refuses to yield its its fruit and there's thorns and thistles, right? So his job becomes infinitely more hard. The woman, her labor, right? Which is to bear children in, in that text is now going to be with pain and suffering, sometimes death even, right? So, uh, and that's a consequence of their sin. All right, so let's read it. The word of the Lord came to me. You want to read, Ethan, since you're so gung-ho about it? Oh, I want to read chapter 23. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Okay. You can see it. I can move it. That's about as close as I can move it without the cords. Get an extension cord. Tearing. <laughs> Tearing prey. Yep. They have devoured human lives. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have got disregarded my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Mm-hmm. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get this on its game. And her prophets have smeared with, draw, with whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divine, no. Divining, yeah. Divining? Okay. Yeah, you know, like with the divining rod. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, divining lies for them to say, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken, I'll scroll the up. people of there the you. land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourn without justice. And I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon the heads, declares the Lord God. All right, and you're going to see that last theme come back in chapter 23, uh, full on, the idea that the What's the expression we use? That you get what's coming, they get what's coming to them? Yeah. Right, but it's different than that in that it's, 
they get what they asked for, right? And I've said, I've, I've given you this phrase before, but be careful what you ask God for, right? It's not that you can't pray for anything, but you want your heart or your conscience, if you like, uh, in your prayers then to be conformed to what God has promised. So that you, if you ask for the things for promise, you're praying in faith, right? That doesn't mean you can't ask for things that he hasn't promised, but you're always going to be conditional in that, right? So like, I want healing. Well, you've promised the resurrection to me. And, and if you're willing to give me healing now, thanks be to God. But if not, you know, so be it, right? All right. So um, I don't know if you remember what we talked about last week. <laughs> Probably not. But uh, we'll just hit some of the main themes here is that not only do you have the princes, so the kings um, that are corrupt, which we can understand corrupt kings, I think, pretty well. Um, and, but, but then that there, the important note for this part of the chapter that, I don't, that we didn't hit in the previous part, and you don't have to go back and review this, I'll just tell you, is that um, their sin, the sin of the kings wears off on the people. So we talked last week a little bit about how, you know, the fact that we're not ashamed I mean, some, I think we are, but generally as a c- country, like who cares that the president is part of a crime family and that he has illicit, his son has an illicit affair with his sister-in-law and his, and the president showers with his granddaughter when she's a child. I mean, like who cares, right? Nobody's ashamed about that. You're like, really? Why not? Right? You're not ashamed that you, the people of New York electing a guy who was clearly demented, well, not demented, but well, he was a pothead and then and brain dead, basically. Right? And then he had a stroke. And they still elected him. You're like, that's he can't he's not a suitable leader. And you elected that? Or actually New York also elected the, the fraudulent guy, right? The Republican that was supposedly gay and he's not Oh, I'm thinking Pennsylvania, yeah. New York elected a fraud too. All right. He New York elected the fraud, Pennsylvania elected the incompetent. Of course the nation elected an incompetent too. Or at least a, a criminal. He may be faking the whole thing. Who even knows, right? Um, so, but that then wears off on the people because now, and the kings are an example to you whether you like it or not, right? Um, Paul talks about this in regards to the pastoral ministry. There's all these, um, I guess you call them virtues or character traits or um, things that attached to the pastoral, pastoral ministry that Paul says to Timothy and Titus both, don't, elevate to the role of pastor men who have um, you know who've had two wives right or who uh, can't manage their home household well right whose children are disobedient well you're like well that doesn't seem fair maybe it's not his fault that his kids are a wreck well actually it is one (laughs) but two the problem is the consequence is if you have a, a, a pastor who's you know, a philanderer or, or can't manage his own home or can't teach well or whatever it is, then that becomes the standard for the whole congregation. Everybody is like, well, if he can do it, I can do it, right? If he gets away with it, I get away with it. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody in the congregation is held to that kind of standard because they're not. Um, leadership generally is, and pastors in particular, and teachers too. All right. Uh, same thing here. You have, so you have the nation's leaders being held to a very low standard, and the people just go right along with it because they want to do the same things. So first you have the next kind of tier down is the prophets. So the prophets are doing these sorts of things, right? And the priests, the prophets are tearing the prey, devouring human lives. Uh, we should use a different translation here. Let me go to the other one. You don't want to see Greek, sorry. Um, the prophets are roaring lions, 
tearing the prey, they devour the people, taking up treasure and precious things, and they have made many widows in, in her midst. So I don't know how the prophets were attacking the husbands of these women, but apparently they were. Um, Jesus says, uses the same language, right? The whitewashing, you're like whitewashed tombs, he calls them. I was just looking for that. Yeah, but, but I'm thinking here um, where, they, where he says that they devour, they devour widows' houses. Yeah, he quotes this. It's probably, probably if I click on one of these little letters, it's going to tell me. Uh, dun, dun, dun. Princes, scribes, they have devoured people. Matthew 23, 14. Same chapter. No. Yeah, it's definitely chapter 23. And I've suggested that to you a lot, is that the farewell discourse in Matthew, when he's in the Holy City and during Holy Week, that language in Matthew is drawn straight out of Ezekiel. He just, there's all sorts of references there that never made sense to me until we read it here and studied it in some depth. All right. Uh, let's see. Then the priests follow with the prophets. Right? So first the kings, then the priests, our prophets, now the priests. They profane the law and the holy things. They treat everything as common. Right? So this would be like saying um, after church, then let's, uh, I don't know, what would be a common thing that people do? Let's have a... Um, a bar, uh, you know, a Memorial Day barbecue in church, after church, in church. And then we'll read the, what do you want to read? Some, I don't know, we'll read, we'll do an oration out loud from Saving Private Ryan, you know, <laughs> because it's Memorial Day and we, you know, we should talk. Now, like, it's not this, they're not equivalent. I'm not saying we can't honor the, de- the, the dead who've died, right? But it's not God's word, right? And their sacrifice is not Christ's sacrifice, which is always a problem on Memorial Day. As they're like, oh, they made the greatest, sacri- you know, the greatest sacrifice. Well, humanly speaking, yes, but Jesus made the greatest sacrifice. So let's not equate the two. Um, be careful about that. All right, but that's what they're doing. They're just like acting like, oh, you know, we could read from, uh, you know, our favorite, actually liberal churches do this, just read from your favorite uh, Live, Laugh, Love or whatever that book was, right? And we're going to read a thing from there and talk about how, how we need to laugh more and love more and live more, like laugh, love, live, whatever it was. Don't remember this? Okay. No. Remember purpose driven life. Okay. Well, yeah. Right. Well, that purpose driven life had the illusion of being a Christian book, <laughs> but at the same, it had godly language, but it it was not. Well, there was no credit to the Holy Spirit. So there you go. You heard that today. All right. So treating things indifferently, right? Whereas God, the clean, or or if you like, the sanctified, are the things God has set apart for His use. We don't use the communion ware for other meals. We don't use the altar for other purposes. We don't put things on it. We don't, we don't use the church for storage in, during the week, right? Um, I don't know. We don't treat the, the hymnals as you know, something to hold up. I don't know, whatever. You know what I mean? Well, what, if I, what, if, what if my feet are too close to the hymnals and I need to lift the bedroom? Okay. <laughs> That's at home. That's at home, yeah. Uh, so the princes are like wolves. Shedding blood, destroying the people. Prophets are plastering them with untempered mortar. That's the whitewashed tombs. False visions, divining lies. So they're just lying. The people then of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy. Why? Because of their, their kings and their prophets and their priests. Okay? So um, I had this thought, and maybe you, see what, you can tease this out in your mind. I have to figure out how to, exactly how to say it. Um, but you heard, I quoted from the catechism today, the large catechism, how everything in the Christian church is ordered daily for the forgiveness of sins. Okay? 
And, and that's clear if you pay attention to the words you hear in church, right? It's like, do we need that much forgiveness? Yeah, you do. Um, but then I thought about it. Even other offices like, like kings or secular government, it's not, there's no such thing as secular government. We actually, as Christians, we, are kind of, we don't care really what kind of government we have, whether it's democracy or a constitutional republic like we supposedly have, or um, uh, monarchy would be fine. We've had, there's been Christian, even under tyrannical governments. But the goal is always... Like, whatever the government does, it doesn't get in the way of the preaching of the gospel. So we actually want secular government to be ordered, not towards the promotion, towards the, the um, benefit of the gospel. Of course, then you run up against a, a problem, which is that the gospel seems to thrive in times of crisis and oppression, more than it does in times of comfort. Right? So like in our country, when... Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ was substituted with what we call civil religion. So the gospel of America, if you like, um, you know, say the Pledge of Allegiance, worship the flag and celebrate all the festival days like <laughs> July 4th and Labor Day and Memorial Day. And I don't know. Juneteenth. Ju- I, I don't even know what that is. Um, yeah. Wait, so but the thing is, is that civil religion actually worked. People were generally more. They didn't do shameful things because of kind of a corporate shame. People didn't work. They didn't mow the yard on Sunday morning because they should be at church and they knew that, right? Um, so it kind of worked even though it wasn't for faith. It, it did produce kind of a morality, right? Um, but it turns out that the church tends to thrive when there's crisis. So 9-11 was a great example that everybody probably remembers if you were alive then. Ethan was. Most of your siblings weren't. Um, and you don't remember it, of course, but, um, you know, church attendance, because what's going to happen? The world's going to hell, right? All right. So there is a thought that maybe civil government needs to be ordered towards the church. Um, but at least maybe we should just be repenting or, I don't know, confessing for, our, confessing for the sake of our leaders, maybe? I don't know. You can't, I can't be forgiven for them, but, and I can't work forgiveness for them, but I ask that God repent them, I suppose. That's kind of interesting. If they're trying to do away with morality mm-hmm. and doing away with, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that we feel yeah. make us more moral, let's say, as a country, right. then they're going to just make people going to drive people the gospel. Right? Maybe if the church preaches the gospel, mm-hmm. right? So there have been times where the church did not preach. For fear, mostly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Or they changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about like the Orthodox Church in Russia during the time of the Soviets. They conformed their message to not be disapproved by the Soviets, yeah. mm-hmm. which was an atheist, intentionally atheistic government. Well, how are you going to make the Christian truth work in an atheistic government? Right? Only the, the, the Christian church like exploded at the end of the Soviet yeah. empire. Like the gospel was preserved amongst a remnant there, but yeah. So that kind of oppression, uh, because it would have resulted in much death. A better example would be uh, under the Roman empire with the Christians being martyred in the Colosseum or, you know, in the stadiums and those towns being fed to lions, being put up on poles and used for lamps at night. They'll just light them on fire and let them be the fuel for the lamp. Um, and yet doing that, you know, willingly. 
or reluctantly, maybe <laughs> let's be honest. They're probably reluctant, but at the same time. All right. Um, so, and then this interesting note from God that he looked for a man singular who would make the wall stand in the gap, you know, between the attackers and his people. And he found no one. Right. In the Old Testament, we have pictures of them. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Don't destroy them. Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Noah, not so much. Um, He doesn't seem to intercede. You know, that God not destroy. Right. But here at the end of at the collapse of the southern kingdom, no one stood in the gap and said to God, hold on. There's righteous people here. There's There's those people who are faithful and trust in you. Right. Of course, we know who ultimately is the one who stands in the gap, and that's Jesus. That the fire of indignation, the consuming fire of his wrath, is not meted out on the people, but is rather meted out on his son. Right. That's why I said last week, I wanted to read the end because it's so beautiful. Jesus! <laughs> eh, but we didn't get to it. <laughs> but that's okay. All right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So the Pharisees at the um, when they're when Pilate says, you know, I've washed my hands of them, and they they say, let his blood be on us and on our children. They're quoting they're quoting God's word of judgment as if it were a good thing. I had this happen when I was being uh, run out of my first parish. And uh, somebody said, Pastor, you said in the sermon that, uh, you know, that you could shake off the dust um, of your feet and move on. So do it. Shake off the dust and move on. I'm like, you know, that was that's actually a word of judgment against the congregation that refuses to hear the gospel. (laughs) You're asking me to shake the dust off to bring a word of judgment against you, which they didn't get. And that was the end of the end anyway. So, yep, yep. So, yeah, so it is interesting they do that. All right. So, don't do that. Don't do that. Just, well, I mean, pastors are stubborn people generally because you kind of have to be. There's a degree of resilience, right, that you need. You got to put up with people, you know, kind of like parents do, though. Like, I don't get to choose who God brings into the congregation, right? And it's like, I'm going to have to bear with these people. I have to figure out some way to, to, to do that. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't get to choose who he put here um, or who he brings here, right? And some are a joy and some are a burden, <laughs> more of a burden, more or less, right? That's just part of the, that's part of it. The same thing, you don't get to pick your children, right? You get the ones you get. <laughs> or for, friends. Or friends, well, and I would, <laughs> neighbors, neighbors for sure. Yeah. Well, it's true, right? No, it's true, uh, but your neighbors need you. Um, the Bible's very clear about that. Okay, all right, let's read the most offensive thing that we could possibly read in the Bible. Ethan wants to read it out of the King James, so I got new King James up there. We'll put ESV up so we can compare contrast. Okay, because I think ESV is less poetic and more uh, explicit, but we'll see. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. And they committed whoredoms in Egypt. They committed whoredoms in their youth. 
There were their breasts pressed, and there they bruised the teeth of their virginity. And the names of them were Apalah the elder and Apalibah, her sister, and they were mine, and they their sons and daughters. Thus were their names. Samaria is Apalah, and Jerusalem Apalibah. And Apalah played the harlot when she was mine, and she doted on her lovers, on the Assyrians, her neighbors, which were clothed with blue, captains and rulers, all of them, desirable young men, horsemen riding upon horses. Thus she committed her whoredoms with them, and with all them that were the chosen men of Assyria, and with all on whom she doted, with all their idols, she defiled herself. Neither left she her whoredoms, brought from Egypt, for in her youth they lay with her, and they bruised the breasts of her virginity, and poured their whoredom upon her. <laughs> Wherefore I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians, upon whom she doted. These discovered her nakedness, they took her sons and her daughters, and slew her with the sword, and she became famous among women, for they had executed judgment upon her. Alright, hold up there. Yeah, we don't have to read the whole thing all at once. I know, I know, it seems kind of abrupt, but we have to stop. Alright, so this is different than chapter 16. Remember chapter 16, uh, I think it was actually, now it seems a little bit more kind. <laughs> it's alright. It seemed a little terrible at the time, but now, compared to this chapter, I was like, oh, God's, you know, he picked up the, the poor little baby girl and, and raised her up and uh, gave her all sorts of things. And yes, she threw it all away, but then at the end, there's a note of restoration as well, even after she's um, done that. And it's one, it's one little baby girl, right? In this chapter, the, it's a, different, a little bit different metaphor because we have one mother, Israel, but then two sisters, which would be the northern kingdom, which ends up being called Israel. The southern kingdom ends up being called Judah. Back in uh, and Judah, Jerusalem are kind of used synonymously by Ezekiel. Jerusalem being the capital of Judah. Here. Yeah, so here we're talking about the northern kingdom being called Samaria, not Israel. The southern kingdom is going to be called what? Uh, it was Jerusalem, yeah, Jerusalem. All right, which is interesting. Now, Samaria, in the New Testament, is it a byword among the people to be called a Samaritan? Yes. Right, right, because they mated with the Assyrians. They became, they assimilated with their conquerors, which is what this chapter is talking about. Now, it's already happened in the past for Ezekiel. It is interesting that he talks about it because he doesn't talk about the northern kingdom very much at all up to this point. He doesn't really mention them. Um, and you notice their names are similar. That's probably helpful to note. Uh, one is the tent. Uh, what did I suggest it was? Uh, dun, 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 I probably wrote it down on here somewhere. Mm, about their names? Didn't I write it on here? What? I don't know. I guess maybe I did. Oh, here it is. At the end of the second paragraph. Israel was one undivided people of God and then eschatologically restored. Don't worry, we're going to get to the restoration of them. Ezekiel 37. The traditional understanding of the names is uh, Ahola as her own tent and Oholiba as my tent is in her. So the suggestion then is that um, the tent of meeting in Jerusalem, my tent is in her, and then the false tents of Dan and Bethel, those false places of worship, her own tent, referring to Samaria. Does that make sense? So Samaria had her own tents of worship, if you like. And the southern kingdom had God's tent. And that's why greater judgment is brought against the southern kingdom, is because the place of worship was there. So there's a double kind of insult to God. Right? All right. So there's a lot of things on the sheet. I don't know that we'll cover everything. It's fine. 
you can read it on your own. All right, so then she plays the whore. I mean, this chapter, it doesn't... Whereas in chapter 16, it started out where she is a prostitute, so at least she gets money. Then by after a while, she ends up just actually begging, begging the men to play the whore with her, and then she ends up paying them eventually. So it just kept escalating. Like, that's how... So it didn't start out as nymphomania, but it ended up there. Whereas here, it just starts out that way. They're both, like, they... They're, you know, what do they call them in high school? Sluts. They're sluts. <laughs> you know, they don't even care about money or prestige or anything like that. They're just, they just have this consuming desire. Um, they're, I'm going to suggest to you that they're, you can see this because it's Assyria and they've got warriors, governors, and commanders, that it's, that it's a metaphor for two different kinds of whoring, if you like. This is all pleasant to talk about, isn't it? Um, political and cultic or religious. All right. So God has been very careful about this in the Old Testament is that um, there is a distinction between church and state, but there's not a, a wall of separation. <laughs> right. I mean, Jerusalem is where the temple and the true worship of God is, but it's also the, has the house of the king. And so the state, it's both the capital and it's the holy city. And they're not so distinguishable. I mean, the king, David in particular, functions in a lot of ways like a priest. He writes hymnody. He, he dances before the altar. Like the Psalms play prophet. He acts like a prophet, too. Yeah, he, yeah the Psalms are God's word. So. Um, so it's not so distinguishable in the Old Testament. Not really until um, Judah is taken into captivity by Babylon. And then from then on, there is no... Jewish state, if you like. I mean, there's one today, but there's no religious attachment of the nation called Israel. There's no commitment to God's word. They're not inseparable. They've been completely divorced from each other. It's a nation that's grounded on a um, cultic identity, you know, an ethnic identity more than anything, but not a religious one, not even a moral one. I mean, the nation of Israel is, has some of the most immoral actions, even more worse than our country in some cases. All right. So we want to be careful about that. Um, but here they're not distinguishable. And so if you make treaties with foreign nations, you always are incorporating as well their religious life into yours. All right. So you see this with like Ahab marrying Jezebel. And Jezebel brings the Ashtoreth and the, and the Baals. And the and Ahaz, the king of the north, he sets up a, a temple to Baal. Yeah. Well, because his wife has to have a place to go to church too. All right. So that's something that's interesting that we don't really deal with. And I don't think we want those two things to be intertwined. But like I said, we would probably prefer a nation that permitted the gospel to be proclaimed without threat of violence against us. You know? which has been coming increasingly true. Um, Canada's about 10 years ahead of us, but they burn churches in Canada because they like refuse to acknowledge people who want to mutilate their genitalia and stuff. I mean, so if you have a Christian church that says that, you will be the, you will attack. I mean, they're attacking Target for moving a display of offensive things to the back of the store, and they're getting bomb threats from these people. All right? So these are not people. They're not these are not people we want to live with. Right, because they're so opposed to God's word that they meet out violence. Um, that doesn't mean they can't be repented. 
Um, but I'm not sure the government's going to help us with that, which is what we kind of demand in the background. All right. So let's see. What are they? Oh, they like the men because they're dressed nice, right? They're handsome. Right? So notice where the sin comes from? From the eyes. Yeah. She saw the she saw the fruit that it was good to eat and that it would make one wise. Yeah. But it starts with the eyes, yeah. Ninth and tenth commandment, right? Coveting your neighbor's stuff and people. And then yeah. Well not uh-huh. And the heart is kind of the seed of the what we I, I made this note here in most of the more recent writings, like in our church or our confessions, um, we prefer not to use the term heart but conscience. Because heart is confused. In the Bible, the heart refers to um, you know, the uh, distinguishing between right and wrong, good and evil, sin and faith. Whereas for most people, even at the time of the Reformation, heart meant the seat of emotion. So the seat of emotion moved from the gut to the heart, and the decision maker, the, the moral sense, moved to the mind. And that was intentional. They wanted you to think that, that morality was rationality. But rationality is distinguished from morality. What is right and wrong doesn't always make sense, but it's true because God says so. Right? It doesn't matter what you think. I mean, we're not animals. But that's like Darwin and afterwards said, no, we, we are, humans are just the most what advanced animal, basically. The highest creature. All right. Yeah, interesting stuff, right? Um, so let's see. Oh, yeah, she defiled herself with the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. So she did these alliances with the Assyrian, and then she got their idols, too, and she worshipped them. Makes sense, right? Comes along, comes along with them. They bring their little false gods into your home. Um, and she, but notice here, we had this note before, I think in 16 and elsewhere, that her idolatry actually started in Egypt. Now, Ezekiel makes this point, I don't, it's hard to justify. We had this point before, I think maybe just in the last chapter, that it began with the idols of Egypt. But we see hints of this because I mentioned it last week with the, um, the golden calf. It's like, where'd she get that idea? These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt, right? This is a god, this mimicking the god, an idol of Egypt. She also longs for the meat pots. Well, um, in, the, in the ancient world, the source of meat was generally from sacrificial animals and, and cultic worship. This is even true at the time of the New Testament. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, is that um, they eat at the table of demons because they eat the food that was, they eat the food in the, in the restaurant at the bottom of the temple where it had been sacrificed to the idol above. That's how, that's how the temple was set up in Corinth. Yeah. We had, it's archaeologically, it's there, you can see it. So you would go downstairs, and that was where the market was, and that's where you would go and eat. Now, Paul elsewhere says, well, you can take it home and pray over it and say, God bless this food, even though it had been sacrificed to idols, now redeem it, right, for my use, for good use, that's fine. But, the, but if you're sitting at the table with the demon worshipers, then you're actually joining with them. Right? This is why you don't commune at every church. <laughs> you only commune at churches that believe, teach, and confess the same thing as you. All right, so that's a side note. All right, so let's see, what else do we say here? She's, uh, therefore, and then as I said at the end of the last chapter, here it is, 
Verse 9, I delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians after whom she lost it. He gave, him, gave her what she wanted. Right? Oof. And then, of course, they uncover her nakedness, uh, seize her sons and daughters, kill her, and she becomes the byword when this judgment is ex executed on her. But notice, the judgment is executed on her by the Assyrians, yes, but they're instrumental. It's by God. So the destruction of the northern kingdom for her idolatry is actually done by God. Of course, we see a beautiful restoration already in the New Testament, if we want to go there. Because where does Jesus go to preach? Well, he does go to Jerusalem. They won't receive him. He goes into Samaria. He does Instead of going across the River Jordan and coming up on the other side and going back into Galilee through the Decapolis, he'll go right through Samaria, where all the... And even, even a Samaritan leper colony, right? Which <laughs> is just like, okay, that's the... Because clearly those guys are lepers because they're Samaritans, right? Makes sense. God yeah. cursed them. God cursed them. Yeah. Isn't that something? Uh, these sisters are, uh, are, are something else, though, aren't they? Oh, I, I, put you, I gave you a nice uh, French word there. Because the word I didn't know, but I found this one. Uh, so the third paragraph, the northern Israelites might be easily compared with the groupies surrounding the modern entertainment demi-monde. Half world. So this is a French term that came up. Um, this is what the French um, religious types called um, the prostitutes. Because they, uh, the prostitutes in, in entertainment, which is most of our entertainers are prostitutes of various sorts, right? They prostitute themselves, but, um, but they live in both worlds. So they're half in the real world. They, they gave the pretension of being godly and yet secretly, right? And we know about all sorts of secret stuff that happens amongst the ruling class, right? Well, we don't know, but we do know, you know, why are they trafficking all these young people? Hmm. We probably just don't want to know, right? But we can suspect. No, we probably did. I know I watched it. Did you? I watched it, yeah. Yeah. He's talked about it for a while. Has he? Mm-hmm. Ricky Child actor, yeah. 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 Yeah, where they were where they were um, sacrificing you know, a child and cutting him open and dancing in the blood and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, if you want to, if you really want to dig into this, because you're curious about what the Hollywood people do, that's satanic. Uh, just look up uh, Maria Abramovich and the rites of initiation she did for like. Um, Lady Gaga. Mm -hmm, yeah, Lady Gaga talks about it, and you can see it in her videos and whatnot. Yeah, it's uh, it may all be like mimicry, and but it doesn't matter because that's what idolatry is. Anyway, whether it's real or not isn't the point. All right. Well, that's pleasant. Let's, uh, well, let's get worse. All right. Verse 11. How do you think you actually pronounce that? It's interesting. Oholiba. Yeah, that's Hebrew. All right, go ahead. Yeah, the accent's on the last syllable. So, Oholiba. Oh, holy ba. Yeah, holy ba. There we go. Good. Go. <laughs> Sorry. She was more corrupt in her informed love. Oops. She, and in her whoredoms, more than her sister in her whoredoms. Oops. 
She noted upon the Assyrians, her neighbors, captains and rulers, clothed most gorgeously, horsemen riding upon horses, all of them desirable young men. Then I saw that she was defiled, that they took both one away, and that she increased her horrors. For when she saw men portrayed upon the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed with vermilion, girded with girdles upon their loins, exceeding in dye attire upon their heads, all of them princes to look to after the manner of the Babylonians of Chaldea, the land of their nativity. And as soon as she saw them with her eyes, she doted upon them and sent messengers unto them into Chaldea. Doted is just not quite the same as lusted, is it? No. <laughs> doted. And the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their whoredom, and she was polluted with them, and her mind was alienated from them. Hmm. So she discovered her whoredoms and discovered her nakedness. Then my mind was alienated from her, like as my mind was alienated from her sister. Yet she multiplied her whoredoms, and calling to remembrance the days of her youth, wherein she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. For she doted upon their paramours, whose flesh is as of the flesh of asses, and whose issue, issue, yeah, issue is like the issue of horses. That's something else. Yeah. Thus thou callest to remembrance the lewdness of thy youth, in bruising thy teeth by the Egyptians for the paps of thy youth. All right, that's good. Well, we better hold up there. <laughs> yeah, I think New King James is actually a little bit more explicit. Yeah. Let me see here. Uh, multiply. Oh, no. It's issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, if you're going to have to read this in church, it's probably fair enough. But we haven't. A lot of people won't even know what that one. That's probably better. Like I was, Yeah, so, but I mean, it's metaphorical. I got that. Um, but it's also not. I mean, because we know a lot of the people that went to Babylon, they didn't come back because they integrated into that society. And part of the integration of that society is actually just marrying them. Right? They live there. They didn't, you can't, you can't distinguish, you know, from ancient Jew people who lived in, um, Jewish people that lived in uh, Babylon. Because they're still there. But they just integrated. Right? Um, so here, first it began with the Assyrians. So she saw how, how nice the Assyrians were to the Northern Kingdom, which I don't know how she did that. Um, and then she, but then she saw pictures of the Babylonians. So there's your pornography right there. I mean, that's literally what it is. Literally. She saw the men portrayed on the wall, you know, paintings, if you like. Graphy. Images of <laughs> the Chaldean. What is vermilion? What color is that? It's like a red, isn't it? Formerly gained from the Kermes insect, vermiculus. So it comes from, an, it's a dye that comes out of that insect. Yeah, it's a red color. So it's a red color. But it's expensive. Just like purple comes from some crustacean that they would get from the Mediterranean. Yeah. So it's rare. Uh, of course, they look a little bit different. They got the fancy turbans and everything. But look at them. Right? Isn't it? I think we've talked about this before, but it is not surprising like... Uh, when the Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon, that Solomon's enraptured by her. Because she's foreign, mm -hmm. right? Just, she's other. So she's, of course, curious and, and beautiful in that, because of that, because she's different. You know, if you just see another, you know, German lady, it's just another German lady. They're, they're all over. There are people who have German heritage. They all look the same. You know what I mean? And then somebody shows up who's got slightly darker skin, and you're like, whoa, look at her. I resent that we all look the same. I'm offended. <laughs> Okay. I'm saying, if somebody from another, like, 
very different nationality, showed up. Sophia Loren. Sophia Loren. Great example. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. All right, so now we have the Chaldeans, right? Uh, the Babylonians. Chaldea is that one area of Babylon. The Chaldeans were the ruling class of Babylon. And she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. And they came and said, okay, this would be nice. Um, and there, it's hard to find a historic example of this. Um, I, I don't know if I gave you any. I might have. Probably not. I didn't write it down. There's people who tried to figure out, like, when did, when did Judah actually say, come Babylon, and credit, like, treaty with them? Um, there's an example, but I didn't probably put it down. It doesn't matter. And, uh, but anyway, this, it, it's a, you know, it's a metaphor. It doesn't have to line up one-to-one. The idea is she did the same thing as her sister, but even worse, because she, she was not satisfied with the Assyrians, so then she went with the Babylonians, right? And they defiled her, and she was defiled with them, right? So we have all this defilement. So she's been set apart by God, but by going... Um, and treating with them, but then also lusting, you know, after them and then being with them and then also with their idolatry, she's desecrating herself, right? She's desacralizing, if you like. She'd been set apart and then she instead, you know. So anything that God has set apart for a particular use, to use it for something else is defilement. So he hasn't given her the, these, I mean, keep mentioning her body parts, right? He hasn't given those body parts for that purpose. That wasn't what they were for. Right, and you can tell that she's misusing them because of the bruising, as Ethan read. Right. It's interesting because it just like alienated from them, returns from them in disgust. Right. Yeah. But then she goes back. Yeah. So she uh, she turned from them in disgust, but then she carried on openly whoring with them. The dog returning to the farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I mean, this is uh, we call this besetting sin. That's kind of the classic word for it. Um. Paul's very concerned about um, sin that's committed in the body. Again, 1 Corinthians is an example of this. Is that like temple prostitution has a way of corrupting you. Um, and we know this with pornography use too, that it rewires your brain. Right? And it's like it's there. Alcohol, it, it actually is as addictive as like say alcohol, which also does the same thing. It has a, there's a biochemical response to it. And uh, to break that requires divine intervention, I would suggest. And there's therapies for it, of course, but... Primarily, it's like, no, it's repentance for the forgiveness of sins is the only way to break that, that what is it, kind of a mental rewiring that happens. And imagine she was rewired in her youth in Egypt. So it's been just like enculturated. And the, the idea that she would be faithful to God if, if she had been unfaithful in Egypt. You know, so, so that whole notion that there was once a golden age of Israel is... It does, it's non-existent. There's never been a time when God's people have been faithful to him. But he's been faithful to them, despite them, the whole way through. Right? Yeah, faithfulness externally. There have been times where they've been more or less faithful, right, externally. But internally, in the heart, never. Never. Not since Adam and Eve. Right? Which we, we just, he's using history to teach that. It's like we don't take our sins seriously. They didn't even recognize their sin. So he's speaking to them in such a way that they're so revolted. Hopefully they wake up and say, what have we done? Right? Um, this would be a good exercise to do before church, right? Before you say, I've sinned in thought, word, and deed, think about maybe some of the ways. So you have something particular in mind when you're saying those words. Right? 
And you need God's word to do that. So use the Ten Commandments to help you through that. Which is what it says on the, on the slide at the, in the, and in the bulletin. <laughs> I don't know if you do that, but yeah, it's a good thing to do. It's interesting. There's the, the, the slight distinction in the translation here specifically. Yeah. In, um, uh, where's this at? Uh, 20. Yeah. Is in the ESV, it says members. Members were like those of donkeys. And the King James says paramours, and I didn't know what that meant. I looked it up. She uh, lusted for paramours. Yeah. This implies that illicit lovers. Was married. Right, illicit lovers. Yeah. No. Sense. Right. Now, the, the, there is a lot of conversation we could have about this. Is that for the most part, the Bible? Um, I would say almost no. I would say for the most part, entirely forbids the idea of thinking of God as a as a sexual being. Like sexuality is given to mankind for the purpose of bearing children, raising them in the fear. What? Um, in the liberal churches, hundred big, big time, uh, especially. They use the language like God is the virginal mother and the he's the phallic father and yeah. Oh, yeah, in the liberal churches? Oh, yeah, big time. I've never heard that. Yeah, because it's a way of then um, taking illicit, you know, ideas of sexuality and elevating it to divine language. But they're, yeah. Well, then when God said, let's make man in our image. Right. So that's that's where it comes from. Yeah. Well, since man is is sexual, then. but, But, see, we forget that sexuality isn't primarily... For pleasure. I mean, pleasure is kind of secondary, or even tertiary. It's not even primary. Primarily, it's it's a sign of intimacy of the companionship, but also for the bearing of children. And to use sexuality for other purposes, which we've almost 100% divorced with um, various kinds of birth control, of course, and voluntary sterilization, right? Which people do. They sterilize themselves so that they can they can be promiscuous without consequence. Well, that's to actually to deny the purpose for that, mm-hmm. right? So lust is to be directed towards marriage, for example, right? If you're, if you're desiring a woman, that means you're actually desiring a wife. This is what it, God actually is using. That's what that emotion's for. So marry, and then put, that, put those desires there and be intimate with her, so. I don't understand the leak because even the way that man was created wasn't yeah. the way that we created life. Uh-huh. It was created different. Right. Well, and you can, you can see this play out then in the conversation when people talk about marriage in heaven. So that's the other end of it. As they say, well, how is it that Jesus says that no one's given into marriage in heaven? Because I love my spouse. And you're like, yeah, but the purpose of that was to show you the intimacy that God has with you, has an eternity had with you, uh, but explicitly has with you in his son and his church. But the church is described as a virgin bride. So it's not, it's not the relationship of the bride of Christ, the church to the son. It is consummated in a sense, because it's, but it's consummated in his death and that he washes her and makes her clean, right? And that it's, this is where the Roman church gets it right and completely wrong at the same time because they recognize that there is a high virtue to, um, to celibacy, but not in this life, but in eternal life. So they, they transpose it into, into monastic life and say it's a higher calling, but but it is the picture of the eternal life because there'll be no need for 
marrying and giving into marriage because the whole number of the saints will be will, will have been born and redeemed and, and resurrected. Right. So there is something about this, but here Ethan pointed it out, so we have to talk about it. Um, yes, in the background is the idea that she she had been joined to God as her husband. Right? But not but it but it's not for all of this purpose, for all this sexual union stuff with foreign people and looking and I don't know. I don't know any Babylonian people, um, but they're apparently well hung. I, that's what he's saying here. Just in case you were wondering what he meant in verse 20. And uh, also very fertile, apparently, like a horse. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Again, it's, I mean, you have to ask the question, I asked the question to, to Pastor Riley when in our on our podcast, like what they received this, they took it back with them from Babylon and included it in the Old Testament canon, and they said this is something that future generations need to hear. Uh, well, and what I think it is is like I said, um, there is a time and a place to speak of sin uh, very crudely. And almost, you know, offensively, violently. Well, yet, like, I think you've said this, I've heard other people say, like, you can speak in this, like, very crude, like... I said it last week, actually. Offensive way. I said, when you're talking about transgenderism, call it what it is. It's like, if you're a male and you want to be a female, then they slice open your member and they invert it and you have to... And it's a constant wound, and you have to keep you have to keep objects in there all the time. It's like an eight million dollar lifetime surgery, basically, because they want long term care of it. And it's not used; it can't even be used for the thing you think it's for. Um, call it what it is, right? And you're like, "Well, that's gross." Yes, exactly. Language and cursing and swear, like. Like, um, what, what, I, what, I'm getting it's, what, what crude language and crude joking and, and that kind of language, it's out of place when it's just used for shock. Yeah. Right. So the di- distinction here is he's clearly indicting them for their sin. It, it is not, it's not for the sake of shocking them alone, but to shock them into repentance. Yeah. What I'm getting yeah. is it's not wrong to like curse or use crude language against the devil. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But not casually and not for just for effect, right? Yeah, we're not rap stars. No. Like you can tell him to go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because it's been prepared for him. Yes. That's, that's, compl- that's according to God's word. That's what they used to tell me that. Well, like in the very beginning when the whole man was stupid thing and I had a world. And I didn't want to start knowing I might be yelled at, accosted, whatever. Yeah. And I remember I emailed him before we came here. It was in the very beginning. I said, I'm sitting in my car and I'm scared because he said, that's the devil telling me to go to hell. Hmm. Yeah. And I did, and it, it helped. Yeah. I mean, it is something, though, when you get, Ann got cursed out in the parking lot of Meyer in, like, June in of 2020. Lot. In the parking lot. Yeah, and she wasn't even near the woman. And she was in the parking lot not wearing it. Yeah, Meyer was. Yeah, maybe it was Meyer. I don't remember I where was she was. It was a Costco. I thought it was Meyer. All right, well, this is all pleasant. <laughs> All right, so, but it is interesting how he keeps mentioning Egypt, and like, and I think the point is, is like, this is not a new development, right? This is, this is part, this is your sinful character, 
right? As a, as a people, you've been this way, right? And there hasn't been repentance. Despite everything that happened in the wilderness, you didn't change your, your heart wasn't changed, right? You kept going after them. All right, so the judgment. Even, to... yeah, even here in the Old Testament, was, do you think Egypt was equated with, like, with hell or Hades? Mm-hmm. So I know it is in the New Testament today. Yeah, or like, like you said, dog to vomit, you know? Go back to where you started. So let's get some judgment. This is always pleasant. Uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Therefore, uh, O Holiba, however you say it, Holiba, there we go. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stir up against you your lovers from whom you turned in disgust, and I will bring them against you from every side. So this is almost like being preached back to the people who haven't yet been brought into captivity that are still in Judah. All right. The Babylonians and all the Chaldeans, Pekad, Shoah, and Koah, and all the Assyrians with them, desirable young men, governors and commanders, all of them, officers and men of renown, all of them riding on horses, and they shall come against you from the north with chariots and wagons and a host of peoples. They shall set themselves against you on every side with buckler, shield, and helmet. All right, so remember before they were, they were in their fancy purple and vermilion, purple for Assyrian vermilion. Now they're coming in armament. They're coming war, armed for war. So you liked how they looked, but look at them now, right? And I will commit judgment to them. So God's going to use them instrumentally. He uses, he always, he uses, well, all things actually, as we say, work together for the good of those who love him. Even the evil things and the evil people, the people who are consumed by evil, God uses them for judgment. And they shall judge you according to their judgments. And I will direct my jealousy against you that they may deal with you in fury. They shall cut off your nose and your ears. Well, they did that to the king, the false king. Remember, they cut, they gouged out his eyes. We talked about that, yeah. But there's this mutilation, right? She's already defiled herself to the point of mutilation almost, but then they're actually going to do it. And your survivors shall fall by the sword. By the way, here it is again. They shall seize your sons and your daughters, and your survivors shall be devoured with fire. So it's not, again, she, she's obviously at least had some lover because she's born children. So it's not just the woman as the metaphor of the nation, but then there's, so there's a corporate aspect, but there's also an individual aspect, the sons and daughters who follow after their mom. Born in that life, that's the life they live too, right? Can't help it, it's just how mom is. Yeah, King James says remnant. This is remnant that's not Survivors, yeah. They shall also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewels. And then notice here, who's the actor here? We had, I will direct my jealousy against you. I will commit my judgment to them. And now I will put an end to your lewdness and your whoring begun in the land of Egypt so that you shall not lift up your eyes to them or remember Egypt anymore. So that, that's a helpful remembering, isn't it? Like we're supposed to remember God, right? Do this in my remembrance. Remember what God has instituted, what he's given. She's forgotten all of that, but she does remember her life in Egypt and she liked it. So now he's going to cause her to forget. Uh, I think it's, well, uh, you have to imply the gospel, she but <laughs> she cannot deliver herself. Well, she's remembering the wrong thing. She is remembering the wrong, the wrong, thing. The wrong person, place, time, things, everything. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, her heart's in the wrong spot. Yeah. Right. For thus says the Lord God, I will deliver you into the hands of those you hate. I mean, he's not stopping here. Ezekiel's on a roll. Uh, into the hands of those who from whom you turned in disgust and they shall deal with you in hatred and take away 
He's already said this, but we'll say it again. Take away all the fruit of your labor and leave you naked and bare, and the nakedness of your whoring shall be uncovered. Right? Remember, um, when Moses intercedes on behalf of the nation, when God wants to destroy them in the wilderness, he says, if you do that, what are all the nations going to say about, about, what, about what kind of God you are? You just saved them out of Egypt only to, to destroy them in the wilderness? Right? And God says, yeah, you're right. right? But here... What is, what is he doing? He's actually making his people a byword. Right? He's actually uncovering, uncovering who she is um, before all the nations so that they end up being a mock, mock, laughingstock, a mockery. Right? And it sounds like I was going to say, it sounds pretty familiar. Yeah, well, thank, fortunately for us, most of the world's ruling class are, are, mm-hmm. are shameful. And, and the way they, their countries behave is also is kind of laughable. So we're not alone in it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not like, oh, look at the people of that country. It's like, no, look at the world. Um, you know, if you want to look up to anybody, look at, look at the kind of semi-dictator in El Salvador, which at least he has sound currency and he's putting all the MI, what do you, what do you call the MS-13 people in, in jail, right? And it's a terrible jail. I don't know if you've seen the videos of it. Like he's, it's like, it's worse than a concentration camp. I suppose they deserve it, but still. Yeah. So you look at that and like, well, okay, at least he has some integrity, even if he is a despot, (laughs) which is kind of weird, right? That you would actually root for a totalitarian dictator, right? Um, But anyway, your lewdness and your whoring have, have brought this upon you because you played the whore with the nations and defiled yourself with their idols. You have gone the way of your sister. Therefore, I will give her cup into your hand, meaning you'll drink the same thing your sister drank, right? The cup of God's wrath is here, uh, except she's going to, this is just insane. This last part, I don't even, it's, it's just incredible. Thus says the Lord God, you shall drink your sister's cup that is deep and large. You shall be laughed at and held in derision for it contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink it and drain it out. And then trying to get the, what's left in the cup, you'll gnaw, you'll break it and try to, and you'll gnaw on the shards trying to get that last bit of God's wrath out of it. And then, then cut yourself with it, with the shards from the cup. It's like, like I said, Ezekiel is on a roll. It's pretty intense. Well, we should, I should note though, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit wanted, to, wanted him to preach this. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And again, it's a metaphor. No. But they're not taking seriously what they've done. So he's shocking shock and awe here. This is, a, you know, Iraq War One. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me. So there's that remember word, right? He's causing them to not remember Egypt anymore. And here it's described as forgotten me and cast me behind your back. You yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring, right? They're not looking to God for forgiveness, mercy, grace, peace, any of that. They only expect from him wrath, and that's what they get. Because they've forgotten that he is steadfast, loving kindness. The Lord said to me, son of man, then now he's going to make Ezekiel be the judge. Will you judge uh, Oholah and Oholibah? Declare to them their abominations, for they have committed adultery and blood is on their hands. So here's an illustration we've had before. With their idols, they have committed adultery. We've heard that before. And they have even offered them up to them for food, the children whom they have borne to me. So we talked about this before. The Valley of Hinnon outside, 
the statue, or you've seen this probably in statuary with uh, Moloch receiving the children into his arms, and, but there's flames and it burns up the children. And they offer their firstborn at least, if not others. Right, so we got that brought back. And here it's food to Moloch. Moreover, this they have done to me. By the way, you could take that metaphorically, right? So she's playing the whore, and then what happens to the children? The children end up being food consumed by, by all the false gods. So you think about the number of children that are abandoned, that are, there's lives, you know. Why are, they, why are their parents doing this to them? Like the transgender thing, right? We have to protect our children. My child is pansexual. And you're like, that's just the parents' sin being visited upon the children. And they're, they're in a sense, they're innocent. Uh, of course, they're not, but, um, but they are being victimized by their own mother here in this case. Uh, Moreover, this they have done to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. So even on the Sabbath day, they're doing these things. Um, And in the sanctuary of the Lord. We know that was true. For when they had slaughtered their children in sacrifice to their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. So that's also, we talked about syncretism, where you'd worship false God and worship the true God at the same time. Which is what they're doing. And behold, this is what they did in my house. They even sent for men to come from afar to whom a messenger was sent. And behold, they came. For them, you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself for ornaments. All right, so now we've got this picture of, you know, she's been this lifelong whore. And, uh, and she called for the men to come again, but now she has to do the thing that you do. Put on a bunch of makeup, right? Um, try to decorate yourself because you're not all that attractive anymore, right? You sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it on which you placed my incense and my oil, things that were reserved for worship generally. So she's now using it to entertain her, her suitors. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her. So now it seems like she's just entertaining anybody. And with men of common sort, drunkards were brought in from the wilderness and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. So now it's like you know, anybody that will, that will come to her is suitable. Not even, the Bab- not even the stately princes and governors of Babylon. Yeah. We're almost done. I'm going to just read the end. Then I said to, of her who was worn out by adultery. Worn out. So she's the worn out old whore. Look at that. Oof. But adultery there to Ethan's point. Wait a minute. Adultery? Hmm. She had a husband? Now they will continue to use her for a whore, even her, for they have gone into her as men go into a prostitute. Thus they went in to Ahalah and Ahalibah, lewd women. But righteous men shall pass judgment on them with the sentence of adulteresses and with the sentence of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and blood is on their hands. Uh, The righteous men there, by the way, those are the ones who appointed, right? The Babylonians and the Assyrians to come and judge her. They're not righteous because they're saintly guys or men, right? But because God has has them executing righteous judgment. They're righteous because of what God's doing through them, not because of their own character. For thus says the Lord God, you know, we're going to end you on a good note here. Bring up a vast host against them and make them an object of terror and a plunder. And the host shall stone them and cut them down with their swords. They shall kill their sons and their daughters and burn up their houses. Thus will I put an end to lewdness in the land. The same note we had in the last chapter, right? That all women may take warning 
So here's, your, here's the moral, <laughs> that all women may take warning and not commit lewdness as you have done. And they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty for your sinful idolatry. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. So think of our confession of the first commandment. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Right? But fear, fear God's judgment. Right? Fear his wrath and not do anything against his word. Which I'm not sure that people do. Um, it doesn't have to even be liberal Christianity. It's probably people in our own church that say, well, you know what? I've been forgiven, so I can do whatever I want. And like, you know how that, how that goes? Because it starts with, I've been forgiven, so I can do this thing. And then it's, I can do that thing. And then I can do that thing. And then eventually you're like, I don't even need forgiveness because I can do whatever I want. And then you're basically a liberal Christian. And at some point you might even say, I don't even need to be a Christian because what's the point of forgiveness? If clearly God's not going to cut me down. Um, but then as, as we talk about with Babel, you know, they got to the point where they were pretty impressive people. And then the great, how great was the fall, right? So it is, you know, I, like, I posted it on Facebook, but, and I said it in the devotion yesterday from Luther on Babel. But I think the lesson he wants us to learn here is, like these women, see what happened. Don't let it get to that point, right? Heed the word of the Lord, right? You have faith now. Right? Don't forsake the faith. Remain in the faith. Repent. Believe the gospel. Right? And live lives in keeping with repentance then. You know? And that's all a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's not, not by our doing. It's, but the only thing that we can do is resist the Holy Spirit. Right? So don't. Right? And um, yeah. And uh, then uh, you'll know that he is the Lord, but not, not because of his wrath and judgment against you, but because of his grace and mercy. So I guess we could end it on a better note than completely negative. Right? We, don't, we just don't think about these warnings. We'll have the destruction of Jerusalem in like 11 weeks, so a couple months from now. You know, and it serves the same purpose. Like why hear about the destruction of Jerusalem every year? That doesn't make any sense. Well, why were they destroyed? We, we just heard. <laughs> and it was, and it was it's based off of her behavior, it seems completely reasonable what God did. And that he actually didn't destroy her completely, but some of them returned. And then we meet some of them, like Anna in the temple, or, or Zechariah and Elizabeth, or Simeon, or not your servant, that some people remained faithful and were, thanks be to God for that, right? You know, and pray that we be the remnant that's kept safe and secure in the ark of the church in the midst of uh, whatever's going on in our world, which I'm not even sure what it is. You know what it is? What's going on in our world? It's, yeah, it seems like a lot of things at once. I don't know if it's just the, I've said this for the last couple of years. I just don't know if it's like the fervor of the moment and it's like, and, and also the way that like media kind of stirs up the, the fire of it or if it's actually real and that we actually are in a, like a momentous, you know, turning point in history. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Well, a lot of the institutions, uh, even people maybe that we trusted in, have proven false. And we were putting our, we were putting our faith in, in organizations and institutions that, um, without, without a healthy degree of skepticism. Right. And, you know, just don't forget, all, you know, as the psalmist said, all men are liars. Given the means, motive, and opportunity. So many people trust. Right, but that, but that includes pastors and Christians. 
Right, but don't trust me. It's the same thing, right? I tell you this all the time. Like, confirm the word that I speak from God's word. If, if I'm saying something, that's why I keep it up here. So you're always like, okay, pastor said that. That is what I'm, okay, good. Right? Otherwise, you know, I, I could lead you somewhere. That, that wouldn't be helpful for you to go. Yeah, and Vicky wants to learn Greek and Hebrew so that she can even check me even more. No, but it's good. No, that, I'm, no, it's fair enough. It's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's the answer. Um, and I, and I also think, as we pointed out here, this is all according to God's, God's judgment. It's, that means it's according to his will. He's using it for his purpose. And so then we don't need to despair. We despair of our sin and our own rebellion against God's word, of course, but not of what's happening in the world. Um, because we have the promise of the resurrection and eternal life, right? And that Jesus has conquered the world. And this is just the, the death throes of, of the, already, the already, what, defeated enemies, right? Who are just holding on and just, you know. It's like, like you can go to Japan and people will still fight you <laughs> on those islands thinking you're an ally. I mean, there's people still holding on to the idea that the empire will be restored. And yeah. Yeah. Well, there's Nazis too, right? I mean, oh, yeah, there's Nazis. right. It's the same idea. We'll get, we'll have a fourth Reich, right? When the third Reich didn't work out, let's get a fourth one. It's like, it, it, it holds on like that. Right. And they're just, it's just the death rattles, you know? You know sometimes we forget to view like our, our time, like each generation as the end times. Mm-hmm. Like, even in the early church, like, they thought that like, the world was going to end very soon. So. Yeah, that's why they sold everything and gave it to the poor. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> well, yeah. Many times. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, they also loved the, you know, they wanted to care for the poor. But yeah, it also turns out not so well when there's a famine in Jerusalem. And since they've sold everything and given it to the poor, now they don't have anything to care for themselves. And they were dependent upon the mercy of those people outside of Jerusalem. Remember, Paul has to go around raising funds for. Jerusalem because they're in a time of famine. All history since the death of Christ has been the end times. I mean, it's mm-hmm. that's 2,000 years. Well, that was the end. Well, we, we enjoyed a relatively we did, but I was saying, I was saying, civil religion um, it had its it had its advantages, but also its disadvantages that we put our trust in. We did, we put our trust in. In you know, almost like we're the one nation under God. You know, under God meant that God was going to preserve us. We're God's chosen people, right. almost, almost, almost. And it's like in England did the same thing, by the way. Although, if you read the poem that they sing, Jerusalem, do you know this one? Mm-hmm. I can't remember who wrote Jerusalem. He was a Christian, um, but it's actually. It's, it's actually a lament that, that England is not um, the Jerusalem above. So it, it's meant to be, it's like their, their national hymn, but it's really a lament saying we're not who we ought to be as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is actually a better way to go about it. Oh, yeah. Instead of being triumphant, being repentant. Do they realize that? I don't know. It has that somber tone in the music. I think the music's by Holst, maybe. So you look it up, Jerusalem. Charles doesn't. No, he's a globalist. He doesn't care about England. I know. He's all sorts of other things, too. Yeah, he is. All right, we could talk all day. <laughs> See you later. Happy Memorial Day. Thank you. No, we should remember the die, people who died for, for our freedom, of course. But the highest freedom, I would suggest, is to worship without fear. Yep.
We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.